Okie dokie, I can start. Great. Good morning, or whatever time it happens to be, wherever you are. Uh, it's nice to be back giving class. It's been a while for me. So, um, with these standalone classes, of course, it's uh, a little bit easier to plan and, and a little bit harder in some ways because uh, you don't have a lot of time to work out all the ideas that you want to talk about. So uh, anyway, so today I figured for this class, I'm going to discuss this little gem or a few verses, the first three verses of this uh, Shri Shri Premadhamma Deva Stotram by Bhakti Rakshak Shri Deva Swami Maharaj, which is um, you're probably all familiar with, but we'll give a little bit of a eulogy or description of it for those who may not so the stokram of course is written in sanskrit by his divine grace who was a sanskritist of of uh considerable skill um if, if you haven't read his sanskrit poetry you are doing yourself a disservice um his sanskrit poetry reminds me a lot of uh krishnadas kaviraj's which is uh, pretty high praise if one is familiar with Kavi Rajasthan's poetry as well. So it's about 70 verses long, 72 actually, but not all of them are uh, speaking about Mahaprabhu. The end verses are got the standard, you know, this was composed in this year kind of thing. And I really like this poem because it's basically a concise rendering of Gore Leela and Gore Tattva into these verses that are pretty easily memorizable, at least, you know, for me, um, I, I was able to memorize the first, these first three verses without a lot of difficulty, it took me about a week. So, and they're really, uh, I find verse format really useful because, um, uh, the second verse in particular of the three that we're going to discuss today is my favorite of the three because it's kind of like a mm, a mantramayu pasana verse where you can just like meditate on this verse and you get this whole. Mm, I mean, it's not not really because it's not describing a lila, but it's a uh, it's a nice meditation. Let's put it that way. So, Chudamaraj says. Deva Siddha Mukta Yukta Bhakta Vrinda Vanditam Papa Tapa Dava Daha Dagda Dukkha Kanditam Krishna Nama Sidhutama Excuse me Danya Dana Sagaram Prema Dhamma Deva Meva Nomi Gaur Sundaram So the last line of course is the uh, like the refrain or the, that that line remains the same throughout the poem Prema Dhamma Deva Meva Nomi Go to Sundara. So uh, we're really getting new information with the first three lines of each verse, naturally. So, anyway, he says, the translation is All glories, all glories unto my golden Lord, Go to Sundara, the beautiful, the divine abode of pure love, the Prima Dhamma. And he's the Deva, the god of that. Demigods, the Devas, Siddha, Mukta, Yukta. The Muktas, the liberated people, Yuktas, the yogis, and Bhakta Vrinda Vanditam. Bhakta Vrinda, of course, is the entirety of the, 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 the society of devotees. Vanditam. They're offering prayers. They all sing constantly in his praise. He removes at once the miseries of all tortured souls who are scorched by the heat of their own sins and consequently are burning incessantly within the great forest fire of the material world. Blessed is the Lord, who is a vast ocean of divine generosity, the abode of the sweet nectars that are the holy names of Krishna. So what we're gonna see throughout the, in, in these three verses is that Sridhar Maharaj bases them, or his description is based squarely on, or really are derived, it's derived in large part from 
the Bhagavatam verse, 11th Canto verse, where Mahaprabhu is covertly described. Krishna Varnam Tasha Krishnam Sangopam Gastrapashadam verse, which I'm sure we're all familiar with. So So if the first thought that came to me when I was going through this and, and, and writing out my notes, um, which I actually did longhand, that kind of in a in a almost like a formal commentary format. And if anybody wants them, I can send them to them. Um, so you've got these exalted beings, the demigods, perfected beings, siddhas, jivan muktas, yogis, and these people. They're all paying respects to him and what to speak of them, even other forms of Bhagavan, like um, well, even other forms of Bhagavan pay their respects to him. Um, we we uh, Bhaktivino Thakur informs us through his Navadvipta Mahatmya that Bhagavan Narsingadev every morning shows up to the yoga peet in Navadvip to pay his respects to go to Sundar. So um, this is this verse is establishing the ontology of Sri Gaura, establishing his position relative to all other beings. And even though Shudra Maharaj doesn't say this here, here in the verse specifically, as I'm pointing out, other forms, of, we know from other places that other forms of Bhagavan <laughs> Are paying their respects to him so that's giving us a clue as to his actual position and we can extend it even further and even in gorlila itself Sri Advaitacharya, in order to establish his position as subservient to chaitanya mahaprabhu he at one point began to teach mayavad in order to enrage mahaprabhu knowing that mahaprabhu would chastise him and thus demonstrating his superiority to Advaita Charya, which is a, a beautiful Leela and uh, very instructive to us, of course, for that reason. And so we, we know from that very clearly that Mahaprabhu is the, the supreme being. Um, so another uh, really interesting point that at least interesting to me that I that came to me while I was thinking about all this was so these these beings the devas the siddhas etc they're all in the mode of sattva whereas the bhaktas are nirguna and so the bhaktas of Gaur have no qualities constituted of the maya shakti while they do have qualities constituted of the sarup shakti so Um, that's uh, a huge distinction um, in uh, most well let's just say uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavism is very um, what's the word mm, I don't know if it's, it's not unique but uh, it's very clear and just the, the difference between the qualities of the material world and the qualities possessed by divinity and and that the devotees are possessed of those qualities as well which i will go into a little bit more later so uh in the in the while we're in the sadhaka or in the sadhaka day uh, we're we're looking to examples uh we look to the guru shri guru the goswamis and other vaishnavs who are uh, of substantial spiritual standing, we look to them for which qualities to emulate. In other words, uh, to become something other than what we are, or <clears throat> we have to, or to become a, a version of ourselves that is, uh, let's say, different or better than where we are. We have to. The the one of the easiest ways to do that, if you are familiar with your Tony Robbins, some of you might be. <laughs> anyway, um, the easiest way to become 
particular way in the world is to model someone else who is like we want to become and we see this throughout this is not some uh some high arcane principle this is this is something that's very common to us if you want to become a great athlete you model yourself after athletes or etc etc you want to become a great scholar well you got to act like the great scholars do and eventually you might become one the same as the same as with qualities uh, or or uh, if we want to become a saintly person we have to emulate those saintly qualities that the saints actually have and so with such uh, exemplars in our life in our mind then over time by by studying their character and by um, emulating their behavior we become like them those qualities the, the qualities that they possess will manifest within us and as the Surup shakti begins to take a predominant role in our in our lives and the maya shakti recedes it's kind of like a scale one goes up and the other goes down so if the Surup shakti is increasing then the maya shakti is decreasing and vice versa so hopefully we're on the we try to keep ourselves on the Surup shakti increasing side uh at least until sharanagati is fully in place and then it's not something we really need to think about anymore we're already the engine has started and we're we're uh, absorbed at that point and it's interesting or i think it's uh, important to point out that for an idea of what those qualities are we can look to um we can find krishna's qualities in the bhakti summer to sindhu we can find Radha's qualities in the Ujjwala Nilamani. And because uh, knowing those qualities, knowing God's qualities is essential for us to understand that what to, for, is necessary for us to understand which qualities the Atma or what the, what the Atma will, will, will manifest uh, when it's in praying with Krishna. So, um, like uh, Kaviraj Goswami, well, actually, Mahaprabhu, through his Kaviraj Goswami's pen, says that at the time Diksha Kale, at the time of Diksha, one gets a spiritual body. So, but the qualities of Krishna are not fully manifest in the sadhaka at that time. It takes time. So, moving on to the second line. So that's all in the first line. That, that was just a couple of thoughts I had about that. Uh, so the, the second line, Gauras Patita Pavana. So you say Papa Tapa. So sin, pop, top. Those who are burned by sin in the great forest fire. Um, so by our own choices as conscious entities as moral agents with a degree of free will we act in relation to the maya shakti and so when the when the jiva uses the maya shakti and and uh, just so you know um the language that i'm using here with regard to the jiva tattva is uh or the points that I'm making, some of them that I'll be making through this, and you might spot one of them later on. Um, it's coming from a series of articles that Vrindaranya has written, and that uh, she asked me, she graciously gave me the service to proofread for her, and also to, you know, see if her arguments were uh, sound, which they very much appear to be. Um, so, this language of the, the, the jiva using shakti to interact with the world is uh, you don't commonly hear it spoken of like that, but through her um, erudite study of the, the uh, Sandarpas of Jiva Goswami, she has brought this point out. So anyway, this is a side note. So anyway, when the jiva uses the maya shakti to interact with the maya shakti, because the jiva can't interact, of course, directly, there's no possibility of that. 
you know, the Maya Shakti is inert and the Jiva is a conscious uh, moving, you know, alive thing. So it has to use some medium to interact with the Maya Shakti. And it uses the Maya Shakti to do that. Anyhow, when it does so, it, <clears throat> excuse me, in, a, in an exploitative spirit, in a spirit of trying to um, enjoy for itself, then it brings reactions, both favorable and unfavorable. This is all basic Vedanta. And this creates an endless karmic cycle that is impossible to extract oneself from. And so to illustrate just how dire the Jiva's predicament is, Sridhar Maharaj invokes Mahaprabhu's example of the forest fire of material existence that Mahaprabhu uses in the first verse of the Shikshastakam. So um, it's a pretty bad position to be in. Um, if you're paying attention to any of the news these days around what's going on in the world in various places, you will know that there are many places on fire, literally on fire right now. And, um, and the fires are getting bigger and more intense every year. And so you can just imagine, like I've seen some of the pictures of there's a fire near uh, Yosemite Park here in California. And the pictures are just insane. We're just flames are just like you know, 50, 60 feet above the treetops. You can imagine if you were trapped in one of those, you're in trouble. <clears throat> so our, our uh, moving in the world out of a desire to exploit the material energy burns us the the reactions from that burn us as if we were caught in one of these fires not a pleasant position to be in uh, so but at the same time performing vanditam worship in in a general uh, glorification or worship in a general sense if we performing performing vanditam worshiping the supreme being in the form of Sriman Mahaprabhu of Gaur, that puts his fire out forever. Baba Mahadavagni Nirvapanam. Just like Mahaprabhu says in the verse. And further, that's that's on the that's on the beginning side or the lower side, and the high side, it delivers unparalleled nectar. Pratipadam Purnam Ritasladanam. So this gore is a pretty um, extraordinary person that he can not only destroy the, uh, the reactions, he can put out this fire that is burning us forever, since forever, but he can, he can deliver us into a position that is so far on the positive side that we have basically no conception of it. Um, that's pretty extraordinary. And so how does, how does he destroy this forest fire and bestow this highest ananda? The last line tells us, and Sridhar says, he is the abode of sweet nectars that are the holy names of Krishna. And I really like the way he phrased that, it's, uh, the sweet nectars. <laughs> um, so, of course, we know a bit about Nam Tattva, and so Sri Nam is the method of overcoming the Maya Shakti. And so Mahaprabhu, because he is to use Sridhar Maharaj's or to quote Sridhar Maharaj, a vast ocean of generosity from the translation, because he is that vast ocean of generosity, he distributes those nectars of Srinam freely to the fallen souls of Kali Yuga. Now, there's so many ideas here. Each one could be a, an entire lecture, but um, you know, we're just kind of giving an overview uh, kind of commentary. And so as Nam Prabhu purifies the sadhaka, this forest fire is extinguished. And, and then, uh, then Bhav, is, uh, Bhav arises and ultimately praying for Krishna and for Gore. And so uh, Mahaprabhu, in the single practice of Sri Nam, he gives us both a method and a goal. Uh, which is extraordinary as well. So that was some uh, thoughts I had on the first verse. Of course, as I said, we could we could easily make 
a whole lecture out of pretty much each line of these verses. And that's the beauty of verse form format is that there's so much information compacted into a very uh, economical space. So verse two. And this is so this 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 verse uh, is just it's amazing. Uh, he says, Swarna Koti Darpanabha Deha Varna Gaurabam. Padma Parijata Gandha Vanditanga Saurapam Koti Kama Murchitangri Ruparasa Rangaram Premadhama Deva Meva Naomi Goda Sundaram. Translation The luster of his body, his fair body, is brighter than a million brilliant mirrors of gold. Of such sweetness is the fragrance of his body that the aromatic lotus and the Padijat flowers humbly offer their prayers of worship. Millions of cupids, shocked out of their pride, have swooned at his lotus feet, unable to bear the sight of his unparalleled beauty. His limbs are alive with the rasa moods of love that emerge and flow continually from his beautiful form. I sing with joy the unending glories of my sweet Lord, my golden Goda Sundara, the one and only divine abode of pure love. So you probably can see already what I'm talking about in terms of this being a wonderful verse to meditate on, just thinking of his, his, his form uh, emanating this beautiful golden color. Um, so of course, this verse is, is mainly concerned with the form. So we, we had in the first verse a bit of ontology in terms of his... Uh, his position relative to other beings. And now he, Sridhar Maharaj, at least in the, in the first half of the verse, he calls our attention to two specific characteristics of Mahaprabhu's form, his luster, his aura, uh, and his, the, the, his scent, his, the, the fragrance that emanates from his body naturally. And, um, so with regard to his, his effulgence, um, you know, Sridhar Maharaj invokes the, the, uh, the image, and it's a striking image, like if you had a million mirrors of, of gold, um, that's bright, that's very bright. In fact, uh, I read somewhere at one point that um, I think it was Archimedes came up with a, uh, a method of uh, in warfare where he would take mirrors and place them um, on the shore, and as ships were coming, they would focus them and they would burn the ship. So, obviously, that's a pretty mundane way of using it, but it gives you an idea of just the intensity of, of what that that uh, focusing the, the light must be like. And so, you know, for millions of mirrors of gold, we can just imagine like how bright that would be. I mean, it would be completely unbearable to look at with the material eye, the naked eye. But we also know from the Shri Gita that Krishna's form is brighter than a thousand suns, you know, from the, I believe that's the, 11th chapter so you know just one sun is enough to burn us up <laughs> if you've ever had a bad sunburn you know what i mean so one sun's enough to burn us not to speak of a thousand and yet the shastra also tells us that krishna's effulgence or mahaprabhu's effulgence is even though it is of such an intensity and brightness uh, luminosity it's soothing and cooling like moonlight so this is, this is the, uh, one of the many paradoxes that just uh, is naturally existing within God's being, that he's so bright and from material estimation, you would expect that to be very painful or unpleasant at the very least. And yet we find it's the opposite. And so with regard to color, 
uh, Krishna's aura is described by Sri Kaviraj Goswami in Govinda Lilamrita to be blue, and Radha's is golden, of course. And so he actually mentions that the, that when they're together, when Radha and Madhava are together, their auras mingle and they create this kind of greenish hue in the kunj or wherever they happen to be. Um, that's an interesting uh, description that I hadn't found anywhere else other than the Govinda Vilamrita. But in any case, uh, Rasa Tattva informs us that in transcendence, in the Leela, emotions have corresponding colors. We've all heard this many times, as Guru Maharaj has told us. And it just so happens that the color of compassion is gold. And so Radha is said to be the incarnation or the form of compassion in a way. And so Mahaprabhu, having assumed her bhav and, had, and being in the mood of Audarya, of freely distributing the, um, himself, uh, widely distributing, freely distributing the nectar of his, the, the holy name out of his infinite compassion. Um, so um, his, uh, all this to say that his color, the color, um, Mahaprabhu's color, as Sri Maharaj uses the words, Deha Varna Gauravam, Deha, body, Varna. So Deha Varna, the Varna, the effulgence of his body, Deha is Gauravam, it's golden. So um, Shastrically speaking, this is coming, well, this doesn't really come up from the, this is more coming from the, uh, the implication or, or the, the word um, in the Bhagavatam verse, Tvisha Krishnam. So Krishna Varnam, Tvisha Krishnam. He's, he's Akrishnam. He's not dark. So the opposite of dark would be um, golden. It doesn't say Shukla. It doesn't say white. So uh, the, the Gaudiya commentary, I think it was uh, Sanatan Prabhu um, is the one who pointed out that Tusha Krishnam should be interpreted to mean gold. So Sridhar Maharaj, of course, is following his lead here. And so that's a, a couple of words about his just uh, meditating meditating on his his effulgence just how how beautiful that must be like to, to have a person who is beautiful in every possible way and yet they've also got this aura this, this divine aura coming off of them that is so pleasing um and not only that he's got this fragrance that is just otherworldly so Many years ago, when I was in Vrindavan with Guru Maharaj and Vrindarunya, I had the opportunity to um, experience the scent of a blue lotus. Uh, we were staying in a house in uh, Raman Reti. And Vrindarunya, at one point, went to, uh, because we were going to be there for a while, she went and got some plants and she wanted flowers for the deities and stuff. So, anyway, one of the things she had was uh, she bought a, a little tub of water and set up a little tub and had a, a blue lotus in there and it's the most unbelievably subtle and rich fragrance i had ever experienced and so sridhar maharaj invokes that here that his his fragrance is it shames the lotus and the padijat and the padijat of course is the um mythical or it's the it's the flower uh supposedly of the demigods of the divine realm of indra and there's a whole story around that of how krishna stole it and whatnot and brought it to earth but point being the reason that he was asked krishna was asked to do that was because the fragrance is so amazing that had to be brought to earth and so now i don't know 
I've never experienced a potty jot, but I can imagine it's pretty amazing. So as, as in all descriptions of the divine, we're using, we, we are left with only material examples or material phenomena to compare it with. And so this is what Chudamaraj is doing here. He's using things that people know, or at least, I mean, with, in, in the case of the Lotus, we definitely know, or we could have personal experience with. And the Padijat, which is said to be this uh, otherworldly fragrant flower. And he does this to give us an idea that, that Mahaprabhu's fragrances of such a richness and a, and a quality that these these flowers, in a he says it's in a poetic way, their fragrance is just you know, paying obeisance to his fragrance. Um, that's kind of a common uh, linguistic uh, trope in these uh, bhakti shastras and the bhakti literatures or descriptions of God is that you that that the um, the thing it's just paying obeisances from a distance kind of idea. It's like I I can't. My my fragrance, the, the lotus and the padijat are thinking my fragrance is nothing in comparison to, to him. I can only pay my obeisances from a distance to that. So what must his fragrance be? Uh, and so the between his effulgence and his fragrance, even though even though one could say that at least on the effulgence uh, side. I mean, it's kind of, it, I mean, it is, it's Aishwarya because you don't see people normally don't exhibit golden auras as they walk around. And so <laughs> to, uh, to see someone that had that, you'd know that they were different. Uh, yeah, that's pretty, pretty abnormal, pretty extraordinary, I should say, not abnormal, normal for Krishna. Uh, yet at the same time, it doesn't take away from his beauty, it enhances it. And the same with his fragrance. Uh, you can imagine just like a, a one of the, actually one of the uh, one of the qualities of Radha is Gandon Mari, Gandon Marita Madhava. Ganda Unmarita Madhava, her fragrance, her her bodily fragrance, Ganda Unmarita maddens Madhava. And likewise, his does that, the same for her. So uh, Aburu being the combined form of Radha and Krishna, his fragrance is doubly maddening. And you know, we hope that someday we'll catch a, a particle or an atom of that fragrance and we'll be maddened as well. And the third line of this verse is, is important. It's especially significant, it's significant because uh, Gaur's beauty is of such a magnitude that Kamadev, Cupid himself, who bewilders all living entities with the prospect of experiencing beauty, is bewildered by his beauty, by Mahaprabhu's beauty. So if you have a being that is capable of bewildering everyone in the material world, and he himself is, as Sridhar said, swooning at Mahaprabhu's beauty, then it gives us an idea of just how beautiful he is. And it's, it's to the point that, you know, or he is so beautiful that meditating on Mahaprabhu's beauty will ultimately make the sadhaka forget, like not just, not just like uh, overcome through force, uh, material world is not favorable, so I will consciously put that down. No, no, no. It's you meditate on Mahaprabhu's beauty and you will forget the temporary and ultimately miserable lures of Kamadev. You'll see them, first of all, you see them for what they are and choose to consciously, consciously choose to no longer take part in them. And then ultimately they're just not even, not even consequential in, in one's consciousness. They're not even like the choice isn't even there. His beauty is so compelling that it would be like uh, uh, well, the example from the Bhagavatam that uh, 
Dhruva Maharaj gives is beautiful. When he tells Shimanarayan after getting his uh, after after getting his darshan or while he was having darshan, I think does he say to him? I don't remember if he says to him or not. But anyway, he compares uh, what he was looking for a kingdom in the material world as some piece of broken glass on the ground, whereas Narayan himself is this most precious jewel you can conceive of. So that you know this comparison, it's like the material manifestations may, if you look at them quickly at first glance, they may appear to be similar to a jewel, have qualities of this, you know, uh, beautiful reflectivity of the sun, and, and oh, they might uh, attract us, attract our attention. But then when you pick it up, you realize, oh, it's just a piece of glass. And throw it away. Uh, so Mahaprabhu's beauty isn't like that. Uh, Mahaprabhu's beauty is the, the jewel of jewels. And moreover, the devotee who becomes absorbed in Gaur swims in an ocean of rasa. So meditating on his beauty is compelling. And ultimately, what that will afford one is to experience, as Shudamar says here, Rupa Rasa Rangaram, that his form is continually emitting wave after wave of Rasa. And because he's Rasa Raj, it's all Rasa, um, all the Rasas relative to his, whichever devotee. So uh, this is a, a pretty far out idea, uh, which I've thought about over the years and just it blows my mind every time how, for example, Mahaprabhu in the Kirtan at Srivas Thakur's house, he's surrounded by his devotees and they're all in different rasas with him and in Krishna Leela, I should say. So they're, uh, I should point out that, uh, In the Sadaka Deha, the, the devotee in, the, in relation to Mahaprabhu is cultivating or is in Dasya Rasa, servitude. As I pointed out, even Advaitacharya wanted to establish that fact uh, in that point, and he did in an in inimitable fashion. And by doing so, one will ultimately be admitted into Navadvip Dham and where we will experience uh, Mahaprabhu's form as Ananda Chinmaya Rasa, as we find in the Brahma Samhita, uh, verse 37, where Sri um, Vidinchi Brahmadev says, Govinda is Rasa filled with spiritual bliss. This is from Jiva Goswami's commentary. So Govinda is Rasa filled with spiritual bliss. So Rasa is, is, um, that is a very, very big topic, of course, which we're not going to go into here, but uh, suffice to say, so Sri Dharaj in, in his shorthand verse format, he's, he's putting, like I said, a ton of information in here. And so Mahaprabhu's form is just emitting these waves of rasa. And by relating to him in Dasya, uh, in the, with, uh, let's say we are successful in our endeavors to enter into the kirtan at the house of Srivas, and we're, we're in the in the kirtan with Mahaprabhu and his associates, and at, uh, he through the kirtan he, um, as we know from Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, kirtana prabhave smarana swabhave, so smarana arises remembrance of Krishna arises out of doing kirtan. And this is true for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself. And by he starts chanting the names and he is transported into Krishna Lila. And the devotees go along with him. They're drawn there as well through the name, through the power of the name. And when they get there, they find that they're in, in our line, in Bhaktivinoda Padivar, one of two rasas, either Sakya or Madhurya. 
And so by surrendering to Mahaprabhu and Dasya, we find ourselves in a suitable siddhadeha to taste that particular rasa in relation to Krishna in Krishna Leela, while also tasting rasa in Gaur Leela, Dasya rasa, but it's the Dasya rasa that's not the Dasya rasa of Vaikuntha. Not at all, because it's completely devoid of Aishwarya. It's the Dasarasa, Dasaras of Vrindavan and the Gorilila. It's it's um, uh, Guru Maharaj describes it as bordering on friendship. In other words, it's you're you're a servant, but it's a very affectionate relationship with with your master, the master who is affection personified. So something to look forward to. And then moving on to the third verse, Judah elaborates here on the ontology of Gaur, Tatva. He's, so what does he say? Prema nama dana janya pancha tatvakatmakam sanga divya parashadastra vaibhavavatarakam shyama gaura nama gana nritya mattanagaram prema dama deva meva naomi gaurasundaram. He expanded himself as the fivefold potencies of the pancha tatva in order to expedite the free distribution of the holy names of Krishna, leading to the attainment of Krishna Prem the fifth end. So, huh. Sridhar Raj is drawing a couple of meanings out of this word pancha. Pancha means five, of course. So he appears as the pancha tattva in order to distribute premanam. And then he invokes, uh, or he, he plays off of this, this word pancha, the five, to point out that Krishna Prem that, that arises out of chanting the name is the fifth end, the, the fifth goal of life. So we've got dham, dharma, artha, kam, moksha. Those, classically speaking, are the four goals of life in the Vedic, in the Vedic conception of life. And Mahaprabhu's nam dharma, Prema Dharma is said to be the fifth goal of life beyond those other four. It's beyond Mukti itself. So in the first line, Mahaprabhu here is, is pointing out that um, look at my notes here. Ah. So he appeared as the Panchatattva, and now that's a big topic, of course. And, um, we could give many, many, many lectures on the Panchatattva, but the basic idea of the Panchatattva, of course, is that they, as uh, uh, Kaviraj Goswami describes, they they plundered the storehouse of love of God to in order to distribute it freely distribute it without uh, discrimination to the fallen souls of Kali Yuga. That's the basic idea of the Panchatattva. That's what they do. That's their main focus. Um, so, yeah, their, their focus, of course, is well, first to taste the name themselves and um, you know, one could make the case that you can't effectively distribute the holy name unless you're actually tasting it. So they are tasters. They are rasikas of the highest, highest order. And uh, out of their compassionate nature, they are distributing that. As we heard in the first verse, the nectars, the sweet nectars of the holy name to everyone. Because that name, as Sri Maharaj is pointing out here, is Premanam. Uh, so it's not... It's not uh, uh, typically in Kali Yuga, the avatar is Gaur Narayan, 
and of course the dharma for the age is kirtan and so kirtan of what god's names um but those names in when given by Gornarayan, the conception that those names will bring us to is not Golok or Navadweep, it's Vaikuntha. And so Sridharmarsh makes the distinction here, Premanam. So Prem refers only to love of God in the most intimate and the most uh, fullest aspect which we find only in one place, Vrindavan, Navadvi Vrindavan. It like, doesn't exist anywhere else in the Paravyom. So, Premanam, that, because that Prem is, is not different from that conception than the name that delivers that, he's, he's pointing that out, that that's the kind of name that, that the Panchatattva is distributing. It's not, it's not the name that's aimed at Mukti, it's the name that's aimed at Prem, Gaur Prem, Krishna Prem. Um, so in the second line, Sridhar Maharaj points out that Mahaprabhu appeared in the world Sangha. Like this one word is just like so much in that. Sangha divya parshadastra vaibhavavatarakam. So again, he's echoing the language of the of the Bhagavad verse. Uh, Krishna Varnam, Trisha Krishna, Sango Pangastra Parshadam. So here we have Parshadastra, same idea, Parshada and Astra. So he descends avatar along with his vaibhav. So vaibhav is uh described in the Chaitanya Charitamrita by Kaviraj Goswami, Vaibha Prakash is the technical term, and it's an expansion of Krishna for pastimes. It's similar to himself, but not quite the same, different in, in, different in emotional temperament. And the example that Kaviraj Goswami gives there in the, let's see, anyway, I forget where it is. It's in the Madhya Leela, uh, no, uh, Adi Leela chapter two. Um, he says that the primary or the example he gives there is Baladev. So Baladev is a Vaibha Prakash of Krishna. In other words, he's a manifestation of Prakash in, of the type, the Vaibha type. So he's a manifestation for pastimes. So he's basically God in another form so that God can play with himself in, uh, in Vrindavan, in, in, uh, the rasas of Sakya and Dasya and Vatsalya. Uh, so, Sangha, but uh, this, this, the one, the, this first word, Sangha, really struck me and I uh, spent a considerable amount of time thinking about that, the implications of it, and uh, from a Vedantic perspective, it is profoundly significant. So Mahaprabhu appeared in the world, not only in his personal form, but he appeared with all of his expansions, Sangha. He, he doesn't come alone. As Srila Prabhupada pointed out many times, Krishna is never alone. So this means that Krishna, Mahaprabhu, he's not only Brahman, he's Parabrahman. So in the Gita, we find a distinction between Brahman and Parabrahman. Krishna says, Brahmanohi Pratishtaham, I am the basis of Brahman. So there's a distinction between Krishna's form, the personal aspect of Godhead, Bhagavan, and, uh, and Brahman, his halo or his effulgence. So, we have to understand that Parabrahman, the Supreme Brahman, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, the word Brahman means the great, the great spirit, basically, uh, to use uh, Native American terminology. So, 
para is a prefix that means something is like the ultimate. And so he's Bhagavan is not just Brahman, it's the it's the supreme great spirit. <laughs> uh, which due to the variegated and love saturated and supremely tasteful Leelas excels Brahman, the Brahman feature of Godhead in all possible ways in all respects. Why? Because in Brahman, there's no service. There's no love, therefore, right? Just love is based on service. Divine love is anyway. Or actually, I should say any true love is based on service. Uh, the desire to give oneself to one's object of love. And so in Brahman, there is no service. There's no love, therefore. And... And why is that? Because there is no second identity present for any exchange to take place between. There's just one. The jiva who enters into Brahman, who actually successfully does that, which is extremely rare, but it's possible, the, with a, by, by doing sadhana, with the goal of attaining Brahma-sayuja, with some sort of bhakti admixture in, the, in one's sadhana, then one can't attain that. And for the jiva who does that, uh, you know, this discrete conscious entity no longer has a sense of identity with which to experience anything. It's kind of like uh, it's just there. Like the jiva's inherent shaktis either remain completely unmanifest or they manifest only to a minute degree suitable for the environment of Brahman, which considering that it's there's no shakti there in brahman it's qualityless it's just so the jiva's will is dormant because he's not acting in relation to anything other than himself he just simply is um and now for us for those of us who have embraced mahaprabhu's ideal this is this like the idea of this is just like why would you do that <laughs> It's not even doesn't make any sense. But uh, if we, if you're familiar with the the shastras that are promoting bhakti, a lot of times, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of time is spent by various acharyas pointing out this distinction in order to solidify uh, people's faith in the path of bhakti. Uh, so. And in following that vein, I, I expanded on that point a fair bit. Uh, so the Bhagavan aspect of Godhead is so far beyond Brahman that there's hardly even language for it. I mean, you can't say much about Brahman, right? I mean, it's not like, as Guru Maharaj has pointed out, it's a good point because it's like, oh yeah, in Jiva Goswami's Shat Sandarbha, the six Sandarbhas, you don't find a Brahman, uh, uh, a Brahman Sandarbha. It just doesn't exist. Why? Because there's not much you can say about it. So the distinction, um, the distinction between uh, Brahman and Bhagavan has often been made in the Shastra by comparing the bliss one experiences in relation to one or the other, or the, well, there's no relationship to Brahman, but the, the bliss of Brahman compared to the bliss one experiences in Bhakti is, um, well, what is the example is often um, yeah, the example is often uh, given of the bliss of Brahman is compared to uh, the water in the hoof print of a calf, uh, which isn't much. <laughs> uh, and that, that example is also invoked in a different um, in a different context uh, to say that uh, one who takes to the path of bhakti crosses over the material existence as if stepping over the water in the hoof print of a calf but this is <clears throat> excuse me this is a bit of a different obviously this is a different uh, using that same example to make a different point which is that the bliss of brahman is like the water within the hoof print of a calf compared to what does rupa goswami call it bhakti Rasa Amrita, Sindhu, an ocean of Bhakti Rasa. 
the ocean of bliss that is bhakti from sevananda, bhakti sevananda. So the, 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 the quality of bliss that we will experience in bhakti ananda is Uh, oh yes, this, that's the point I was looking for in my notes here. So the bliss of serving Mahaprabhu in his son Kirtan is as far beyond Brahman as Brahman is beyond conditioned life. So if you can, you take conditioned life and you compare it to Brahman and Brahman is like orders of magnitude uh, beyond it's just like you know well obviously one is it's not a fair comparison of course because you're compares you're comparing a material life well okay so compare the the, the when you get right down to it the misery of material life with the bliss of brahman how different that is well the bliss of bhakti is as far uh, or even further beyond brahman the bliss of brahman so that's that's a pretty big distinction that we need to understand as Vedantins, if we are uh, in order to understand clearly what we're involved in here. And um, oh yeah, so Trader Marsh is, as I pointed out, he's. Uh, invoking the language or he's deriving his language from that Bhagavad verse, and he refers to his uh, Divya Parshadastra, his divine eternal associates and his weapons. So Sriman Narayan, of course, you see him depicted, you know, he's always got his weapons. He's got his Sudarshan Chakra and the club and the mace and the, the lotus and uh, so these weapons they all signify different shaktis within him that are used or that that he uses to perform different tasks or different to do to do different things excuse me but Mahaprabhu doesn't have weapons like that um, and so it's been described that Mahaprabhu's weapons are his his upraised arms by which he's attracting people to his Sankirtan. So he, he, avatar, he descends along with, yes, or I made that point, pardon me. Um, oh, I, I didn't say though that the, uh, so in Gorlila, he, he descends. Actually, I should reiterate this point because I didn't point this out. But uh, so he descends along with his Vaibhav. And the Vaibhav in Krishna Lila being Baladev, then in Gorlila, that is Nityananda Ram, of course. Um, so, and his sole occupation was to assist Mahaprabhu in his preaching of Nam Dharma. So, and his weapons are. Uh, He, he, rather than, uh, <laughs> I think the point has been made, I forget where, by whom, but his upraised arms, rather than destroying, uh, like Krishna comes, it is said, uh, he himself says that he comes age after age to destroy the impious elements in, within human society. And he does that literally with weapons in many cases. And so Mahaprabhu, being an incarnation of mercy, does not do that. His weapons are his, his upraised arms, which, by which he's destroying the impiety of the jivas uh, through the chanting of the name. So um, we're, we're getting a pretty good deal in Mahaprabhu. He's not coming to just crush us because we're, uh, you know, sinful rascals, as it were. He's, uh, he's actually giving us um, not only the means to overcome our uh, 
our misplaced values, our anarthas, to, to expunge these things from the heart. But he's given us the opportunity to live with him forever. And the third line is particularly sweet because, uh, you know, Sridharmarsh, um, what does he say? Mahaprabhu is dancing in the streets like an ordinary citizen. Curious. So God himself in his most complete form mingles freely with his devotees and ordinary, ordinary people in the streets, chanting the name throughout the streets of Navadweep. In other words, he's not sitting on a giant throne like Narayan and accepting worship. And no, he's just a simple Brahmin. And um, he's not uh, he's not exhibiting godly opulence. Again, you know, this is Krishna we're talking about, Gaur Krishna. So there's no uh, there's no Aishwarya there. Although there are instances, of course, in Gaur Lila where he does manifest some, just like in Krishna Lila, Brahma Vimohan Lila. Anyone? Um, in Gorli, an example of his manifestation of Vaishwarya would be the Mahaprakash, where he's sitting on the asan and he's revealing his devotees' internal uh, or alternate identities in Krishna Lila. So that that's Vaishwarya, because then they know he's God, but. happens or as it as it happens in krishna lila where whenever people whenever the devotees get a sense of of krishna's godhood rather than it rather than it diminishing their love for him it augments it oh he's god but he's still my friend uh, child lover whatever it happens to be um how wonderful is he? And it just, it, it inflames, it, it, it udipana, it inflames their love rather than diminishing it. Whereas uh, in, um, in other, other flavors of, of love of God, such as Arjun's, when Krishna's godhood is made known to him, it diminishes his love. It, it causes his love to recede somewhat, as we find in the 11th chapter of the Gita, Krishna, uh, reveals himself to Arjun and Arjun asked for forgiveness for being too familiar with him, for being acting in a friendly way with him. But of course we know that that Krishna prefers that, you know, having Arjun groveling at his feet, asking for forgiveness and please don't kill me and whatnot, you know, that's I'm sure nowhere near or as tasty to Krishna as just sitting on the bed with Arjun and Arjun is treating him just like his buddy. I mean, I know which one I would choose if I was God. So anyhow, that is what I had in mind for today. I've actually gone a little bit over time. Um, and if anyone has any questions, we can entertain those or comments or whatever. So thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Haribo. Uh, let me see here. How do we try to unmute you? Yeah. There we go. Thank you, Prabhuji, for this class. Well, thank you. These are so, so nice, these verses. Oh, yeah. from. So, so I really appreciate you, you opening up some of these for us. Thank you very much. You are always chanting every year for Gaura Purnima, are you? All the verses. You? Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, you do. Oh, you chant yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, yeah it, it takes a little while, but it's it's very blissful. Worth it, yeah. <laughs>
Excellent. Yeah. I mean, it's so beautiful that Sridharmaraj has given us this such a compact uh, retelling of Thor Lila. It's so, so convenient that you can basically go through his entire Lila in just a few verses like that. Yeah. It might take a couple of hours if you chant it out like that, but you know, um, you can, uh, like I said, the, the compact nature of the verse format is like you could read this and then just have like the whole Gorlila just in your mind, just like think of a verse and you're right there. So, um, yeah, that's one of my favorites for sure. Frodo. Okay, well, if anybody, if there's no other questions or comments, then I guess I'll sign off and I wish you all a wonderful day. Vanchakal Patru Vyascha Kripas in Duke Vacha Patitanam Pavnikulation Vibu Navu Namu Namaha. Sitari Prabhuki Jai. Oh, the Bhakti Vrindaki Jai.